Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Greetings, and welcome to the Jewel Network Science Broadcast Frequency. The Jewel Network is a radio frequency of continuous streaming science, knowledge, and wisdom, which promotes and sustains the activation of present evolutionary process of immortality and the unfolding of the God Self within the evolutionary planetary society on planet Earth. The Jewel Network is committed to broadcasting the science of life and the science of living. By cultivating the mind of a scientist, you'll be enabled to extract the very best the current 21st century has to offer. You are listening to Deborah's Healing Kitchen with your host, author, speaker, and myth culinary expert with Dr. Joel Pukum's EQ Medicine Professional Alliance, Miss Deborah Peak Haynes. Hello, welcome again to Deborah's Healing Kitchen. I am so pleased that you have decided to join us today. And I have a very, very special woman that has agreed to be a part of our podcast, and I just want to say I have so much respect for her. She really is dedicated to the health and well-being of families and specifically focusing on the African-American community. So today I have Teresa Little. She is a community counseling advocate for the Family Place in Dallas, Texas. Teresa, thank you so very much for being a part of my podcast today. It's really, really a blessing to have you. And we just want to, you know, uplift all that you're doing and praying that God continues to give you his grace and mercy. So today we're going to talk about a subject that we don't often talk about, not enough, and that's domestic violence. And so, Teresa, could you please say hello to our audience and give us a little background on how did you start in the domestic violence advocacy? Well, first I want to say thank you for having me. And you're correct, this is a subject that we do not talk about until after the event or murders have occurred. So, again, I thank you for just asking me to be a part of this, especially in this season that we're in now. Yes. Well, I started working, guys, many, many years ago. I tell people sometimes I think I started when I was a teenager. But I've been with the family place for over 21 years. Wow. And I am, I got my license in Ohio as a social worker in Ohio, and then I moved here to Texas, got married and had kids, and started at the ground roots of working at the family place. And I initially started in the shelter, and that's where we see everything. And then I moved up and became assistant program director and started several different programs. But my passion started many years ago when I was in college, watching some of my friends, some of my followers be affected by domestic violence. And back then in the 70s, we just didn't talk about it. Right. I saw neighbors in my mother's neighborhood get abused, and I used to wonder, 
Why is she taking this? Why is she doing this to her? What about the children? And no one seems to do anything about it. So when I went to school, starting off as a counselor, social worker, that's how it all started with me because I witnessed it. I feel that all women have experienced some type of domestic violence. Uh, and if they don't, they the lying and denying or they don't know what it is because we often see domestic violence as a physical aspect. Right, It is right. emotionally. And we've all been in relationships that hurt our emotions. And some of us recognize that, okay, you know what, he's not going to talk to me like that. He's not going to do this. And they get out of it. But some of us who have low self-esteem, who have not had positive role models, they tend to stay, and then the abuse escalates, and it gets to the part where it leads to death. Right, right. Well, I'm glad you said that because many times we don't understand that domestic violence, as you said, is also emotional. So maybe if you haven't been struck or, you know, someone put your hands on you, but, you know, emotionally you've been abused. And so that's something that we need to pay a lot more attention to, and I think you and I have talked about this many times. You know, we've had a lot of trauma in the black community, and, you know, trauma can then birth more trauma in different areas of our lives. So I think Mm -hmm. it's really important that we keep, you know, uplifting the subject and giving more education so we understand what we're dealing with. So can you please talk a little bit more about you know, we're talking about the, you know, the male-female relationship, but how the trauma impacts children long and short term. That's something that we don't always understand. And when you talk about trauma, and when children are exposed to trauma, that affects their ability to, you know, regulate, to identify and express their emotions. All they know is that their brain has been wired to adjust to negative or violent behavior. So children don't know what danger is. Because even when you look at what's going to violence, I said, okay, they said the children are the silent victim. Right. But they're not. They're not the silent victims. They have no no choices or no options because they have to stay. And then they stay there, and this becomes what we said, um, generational curses or learned behavior. We use those terms. Children do. Children realize that. And when witnessing events such as shootings and uh, fighting and cussing, it impacts their physical development as a child. It affects the brain, how the brain is going to function. And then it potentially leads to lifelong health and social issues. They're angry. They're not able to connect. And then they go to school and we wonder why this child is bullying why this child isolate? Why this child have all these different behaviors? Because as a child, these are the things that they have witnessed. Then when they become adult, all something has to do is to trigger that trauma. It can be a sound, a smell, a color, just something, a nightmare. And then they go back to that mode of survival, that mode of isolating, and we wonder why People are going into these schools shooting people. We're wondering why children are committing suicide. And probably because in the black community, we don't even reach out to get counseling sometimes. Right. Because we figure this is just the norm of our neighborhood. 
or particularly with black women. We're strong black women, and we have to keep the family together. And then we have the issues with racial profiling because we don't trust the system. We raise right. our little people that same way. Right. And it's important. It's, in fact, it's necessary that children get counseling as well as the parents. Right, right. And, you know, to that point, uh, what I have found is sometimes as adults we think, okay, if we get counseling, that, that means something's wrong with us. And we don't see it just like you have a physical body that has to go to the doctor. But at the same time, our mind needs help. Our mind needs someone to help us heal. And, you know, since, you know, my whole podcast, Deborah's Healing Kitchen, is about health and wellness, and you can't have health and wellness if you're emotionally traumatized all the time because then your mind makes your body sick. So this is so important. So our children don't have a trying chance if they don't get help and have that emotional healing. And uh, tell me if this is correct, because I've heard this from some other um, sources, that many times when a child's been through trauma at whatever age that was, it emotionally stunts them to that age. Have you heard anything like that before? And that's true, because that is a part of their, their physical development as a child. You know, there's stages of development. And they will get stuck in that age group. I mean, sometimes we wonder why you have 40-year-olds acting like they're teenagers. Something during that teenage year has stumped the growth in the brain right. to not move forward. I say to many people, tell me the age that we move from being an adolescent. Most people would say 16, 18. No, that age is two, six years old. When you look at the part of the frontal part of the brain that teaches us the maturity. So if that child has experienced any type of trauma, not necessarily domestic violence, it can be robbery, it can be tornadoes, anything, and then they move into PTSD. Their growth has stopped. I said the insurance companies got it right. This is why they do not release children from their parents' insurance until they're 26 years old because that brain has fully developed into maturity where they will have the ability to reason and make good decisions. Right. So can you imagine when a child at three, four, five, six, seven years old, and they spend years of that, they, their brain is wired in negative behavior because that's all they're used to. That's all they're exposed to. Right. Right, that is that is so true. And then in some families, I'm sure you have found that it's a secret, so it can't be discussed. Exactly, and particularly in the black community, we have what goes on in the house what stays in the house. That's not right. true. You know, what goes on in the house goes to school, goes to work, goes to trouble. You right. take those behaviors with you. Right. And that's really sad, particularly in our community. And I understand the things being black people, but we we don't focus on counseling. Most of us go to people who we know, and it's not a fact that the church has been the rock and the foundation where we do go. But if we don't educate everything within our community, then we, we will not move forward. 
And then we right. go to other organizations. Organizations are really great, but then if there's no diversity and no diversity of thought, because sometimes we look at uh, cookie curves, it does. It doesn't. It does not, because people talk about black parenting. Black parenting, we teach differently, and it has right. worked. It has brought us to where we are today. But when you're in social work and counseling and all of that is great, but then when you look at advocacy and moving, using within the community, it becomes more effective. And that's something that we as black people have struggled with, and that's because of the mindset. When I think about Black Black Lives Matter, of course it does. All lives matter. But when you have black-on-black crime, it makes you look at, well, what's going on in our community that we are destroying and killing each other? Even when it comes to healthy eating, we used to eating what we eat, and then our physical bodies shut down. Right. Well, you know, to that point, you know, I wanted to interject this because, you know, this is my take on maybe why we have that secrecy in our community is because if you think about it, back when, you know, we were enslaved, we had to be secret in order to escape or in order to make sure that we don't get killed. So that was our survival mechanism. And over all of this time, we still have that in our DNA, not realizing the impact that had on us. Well, it helped us to survive, but it didn't, it's not what is going to help us to thrive because we're in a new time and space. And to your point about, you know, the killing in our community, I think we also need to recognize one of the reasons why we kill each other because we're in close proximity. Because it says, you know, white people kill more white people than anybody else because of close proximity. Mm -hmm. So we have to look at those things that happen with us because we're in close proximity to each other. But I also think, and you, and I want to expound on this, I also think that when we look at the pressure that the African-American man has had and the whole piece about self-esteem and masculinity and it's been stripped from them, that adds a layer that has made it much more difficult when it comes to domestic violence, because who does he take it out on in many occasions? And it's, a, it's you know, the black woman. That's and that cool. also happens, you know, in the, uh, with, you know, white people as well or Caucasian people as well. But I think it's really important that we understand the, the space that we're in and address the issue of, as people or melanated people, as my uh, doctor says, we're melanated people. So we have to understand their space we're in so that we can, you know, heal and go forward. So, you know, please, you know, tell me, you tell me, Teresa, what has been, yeah, I know that you're a big proponent of counseling and I know you have sent so many people to great counselors. And I, you know, I know you have to be very, very careful of what you talk about. But can you just give a sample of the types of success stories that you have from people that actually follow through when they take your wonderful advice? And you know, when I look at, because I'm gonna start with some of the challenges people face and why they do not follow through 
with counseling and follow through with developing safety plans because I'm really big on emotional safety planning because we can put a physical safety plan in place during counseling, and that means that you call the police, you get a protective order, uh, you um, change locks on your door, change your telephones, you leave the city if necessary, all that for your physical safety. And those things are great, but here it is emotionally, if that man calls or that woman calls, because we have women who are perpetrated as well, and they have been involved in this relationship for a period of time, that emotionally it, they would just stop and go back to the old ways of thinking. So I tell women, let's come up with an emotional safety plan. So when those emotions get out of whack, because every emotion is attached to a need, and here, when could you could you repeat that, that uh, Teresa? Because I think that was not clear. You didn't come through, and I want to make sure people don't miss what you're saying. Every emotion is attached to a need. Right. So when that right. need, when they don't, when they don't have that need, it's going to trigger that emotion, and then they're not going to move forward. They will not even. They're not even have the ability to protect themselves, let alone their children. So you come up with an emotional safety plan, and a lot of that is dealing with their self-esteem and having a strong support system because mm. counseling is going to give you tools. What counseling does, every woman that makes a call, they are a victim. Our goal is to get them into counseling, to get the education, to know exactly what domestic violence is beyond the physical aspect and the impact it has on your children and everyone that you're in contact with. Mm. And then we go through that, and, there, and it's phases that they go through, phases on healthy, what are healthy relationships. And if those people have been abused as children, okay, here it is. That's just a double layer because all their life it's been abused. It's normal to them. This is what this is what happens in our family. This is the way how we handle our business. So the challenge is continuing with that. But if they have an emotional safety plan with someone there, a mentor, a coach, uh, learning who they are, the options. Now, if they're in local poverty areas, okay, they're out of the relationship, but I don't have anyone to keep my children. Mm. Uh, there's no daycare. In fact, I have to come all the way on the side of town because those resources are not available in my community. And it's no different than do we have a central market on the south side of town? <laughs> no. Certain things are just not available in our community, so we have to go on the other side of town, which puts us at risk trying to get some help. Mm-hmm. Right, so, right. So those are the challenges of falling through. How do I get on the bus line? Do I get on the bus with five children and all of them need to go to counseling too? Here it is. It's just not available to them. And then if it's raining or even if they're stipulated to be there and they're not able to come because the child is sick and I have no one to help me with the child, those all are challenges that we face in our community. But the successes are really great. I've had women, I tell them, I started a leadership group called LOL, Ladies of Leadership. And prior to them getting to that level, we were giving them, if they went through counseling, they got all the education on DV, they had safety plans, 
They have protective orders. They learn what's out there in order to help them live independently. Then we move them into empowerment, and I tell them, you're no longer survivors. You came as a victim, and what counseling is supposed to do is give you tools to put in your toolbox. Right. So when you need that particular tool, you have that resource and information to do that. If you don't, you substitute, and sometimes substitution can lead to death. And right. then once we give you those tools, you move to an empowerment position because one of the greatest things of success is empowering other black survivors to share their story, their truth, their experience, and encourage other black women to move forward because they know what the challenges are. I have women in my leadership program, they went from no GED to PhD, but awesome. their goal is to pass it and move it forward. When I look at 16 women, and then that developed their sisterhood. I said, because every place or any other organization may not always be there when you move forward. When you can do this because they can reach people better than we can because they can self-identify. They, they know what those challenges are. And when they see another black woman who was a survivor is on a whole different platform and a whole different level, that would encourage them that I can do it too. And so they become like mentors and sisters to each other. Wow. That is awesome. That is awesome. So I think, you know, it's really important that people understand that there is hope and that you can be triumphant if you just go through um, the plan the that process. can yeah, help you get to where you need to be. And a lot of times I found out people just kind of lose hope in the process. But that there's always hope on the other side, but we have to push through. Uh, one of the things I want to make sure that we, we discuss um, today is how domestic violence has increased due to the pandemic with the with you know what's going on not just in our country but also our world. So how do you think that has impacted the domestic violence incidences? It has greatly impacted. The numbers are up. And when we put this stay at home and safe and distancing, these women cannot leave the house. People have lost those jobs, so guess what? That perpetrator can't go anywhere. He's going to blame her for what's going on in the world, and she doesn't have a chance of getting out. All of you know, what domestic violence is, it's about power and control. So if she's not able to go out and work, if she's not able to even go to counseling while he's at work, yeah, it's putting women at a great risk that he's monitoring her every phone call now because guess what? He's there. No one can go out. And because he doesn't have a job or she doesn't have a job, whoever the perpetrator is, you're staying at home. Fear has escalated. And it's good for us not to spread what's going on, but then again, for victims of domestic violence, Mm-mm. For the children, with children being there, and children are restless, and they do not have a normal, quote, family routine where they're complimenting each other and having family dinner. Right. When he's not there, she's safe. She's able to move around. She can't even go to work. And because she's not working, and if she was bringing home the money, guess what? It's your fault. 
Because in their little twisted mind, here it is, I have power and control. Because when they put that in place, our numbers increase. And because women are trying to get out, here it is, I know in my organization, we are accepting everyone, even if we had to put them in hotels. And we are putting them in hotels because we just want them out. Right, and people, right. I, I was going on a talk show the other day and I was listening at someone to, oh, it's going to be a lot of babies being made during this time. And I cringe at what I heard. Yes, because a lot of women are going to be sexually abused, which comes under that umbrella of domestic violence. You're going to have more incest. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of babies born, not because of love, but because right. of abuse. Right. Oh, that's chilling. That's absolutely chilling because we sometimes don't look at something in a holistic viewpoint. So on one hand, you know, in our minds we're thinking, oh, that's great, families are together. But for some families, like you said, that is not great because they're trapped. So So what, Teresa, so what can they do? If someone's listening right now, what can they do if they are in those circumstances? How do they how do they conduct themselves in those circumstances to give them the best chance of not being abused and also getting out? You know, victims know perpetrators. Because especially if they've been in that relationship for a period of time or they've been living there, they know what triggers them. And sometimes you have to, it's like role playing. Mm. Here it is, yes, you respond to they want, you do not do anything that you know would trigger their behavior. And when the opportunity presents itself, then you get out. Mm. Then you get out. And then if the police stops you, guess what? I am a victim of domestic violence and they will move you. I had a woman uh, not too long ago. She, her husband came home from work earlier, and she was taking a bath, and she thought that was unusual. And she really tried to get out of the bathroom because she knew what was going to happen by his footsteps. Mm. She said she could tell when he was angry. And she got out of the shower. And she thought, what can I do? Because the bathroom is not a very safe place. Right. When you're in an abusive relationship because the, the sink and the toilet and the shower all can be used as weapons. And she thought he is always looking for his check in the mail. And she said, the mail come. I believe your check was there. And, mm. of course, he stopped yelling. And she hurried up and got dressed. She said, Lord, please let that mail be there because she wasn't allowed to look at the mail. Sure enough. The male was there. She was able to get her clothes and get out. Victims know what triggered them from the sound or anything. And when that opportunity presents itself, you get out. You leave. You call 911 and let them know that you are a victim to get there. And when they come and there has been abuse, it's called the they do the police does a lethality assessment, and the police would take you to a safe place. Mm. But most of it is not to trigger any of the behaviors that would cause him to start abusing. It's almost like playing a role. And, and yeah, unfortunately, that's, um, many of them do that. And I think also, you know, that comes with 
you know, having some wisdom. And sometimes even when we want to say something, don't say it like you said. If you know it's going to trigger them, don't put yourself in harm's way. And especially exactly. if you have children. Exactly. So that and is you get those children out and you leave. And you leave. Well, maybe you risk getting COVID-19, but then again, you may not. You leave. Right. You right. get to a safe place because uh, we're not turning down. None of these organizations are turning women down because we know many of them are stuck there. They are stuck there. Wow, wow. So do you think this has been more impactful than, because I know you had shared with me at another time that during football season, incidences, you know, go up as well. So Uh I guess now it's probably even worse than during football season. Is that something that you think is true? Uh-huh. That is that's true because you know what sports can be an outlet, but then sports create anger. But not only during football season, that's the highest sex trafficking time as well because you got people from all over and people making money and everything. It's seasonal, and wow. the seasons change. Incidents wow. of domestic violence is same thing. Wow, I never knew that. It's seasonal based on what's going on in in the country as far as sports and things of that nature. Wow, there, there's a lot that we need to open our eyes to and make sure that we're involved in the solution and not the problem. So is, um, is there a way that people can contact you through the family place if they have any questions? Or even, I know you have the 800 number for people to call if they're in trouble. And I know this podcast goes all over the country, so is there a a central 800 number that you know of or or what people can do if they find themselves in a situation they want to contact someone? Okay, and for locally for people here, uh, you can contact, that's called Dallas, and and it's a 24-hour hotline. And it's one in 24 hours. And even with this 24-hour highlight, if the family place is full and everyone, they can give you, because we have a central number, that they will send you to other states and organizations and to Thai. And even if you need a translator, we have translators as well that can talk to people of other languages and connect them to different locations. So our 24-hour hotline is 214 941-1991. Okay, great. Uh, and it will connect you. It will connect you there. And then you got the National Domestic Violence Hotline, and it's 1-800, God, I think it's, well, if you can't put National Domestic Violence Hotline, and it will connect you to all different states and locations. Okay, that's that's really good to know. They can just Google National Violence Hotline, and that will uh-huh. give them the number. That That is uh-huh. really uh, so needed, this information, and I really appreciate you, you know, sharing this with us because sometimes we just don't think about what other people are going through, and we get so caught up in our own lives that we just don't reach out. And, um, you know, this could save so many lives. And I know women are, you know, die, what is it, every, in the state of Texas, I think you were telling me some chilling um, 
with every few seconds, women are actually every every nine seconds a woman is being abused. But the number that is more startling here in the Dallas Fort Worth area, based on the fatality reports coming from um, the Dallas uh, Domestic Violence Council, is that sixty five percent of fatalities are African American women. Wow! Now nationwide, nationwide. We have the highest fatality. We are 4.3 times more likely to die than our counterparts. Wow. So when you look at nationwide, and my question is, okay, what is it that we're not getting or we're not doing that a white woman can live, and yet I, as a black woman, I can die? Right. As I said, we have to go back to the black community. What is it that we need so those numbers can drop? Right, right. And we as a community know exactly what we need to mm. move forward. But then right. we have to work together to do that. Right. We need more advocates, more talk shows, more podcasts. All of this we need, we no longer should we be silent. It's just like with your church, voices that shout. You guys, we will speak out. Silence no more. We need to open up our mouths and say, okay, no, this is not going to happen. And in doing with this, we need to work with our black men. Because when you look at black men, when you look at the history of abuse there, they have witnessed, that have become a normal way of treating black women. Mm. And as you stated, it goes all the way back to slavery. When you mm-hmm. look at slavery, you know, those black men weren't even able to protect their black wives and daughters from the masters. Because guess what? You cannot get risk dying. So you had to sit and listen at the torture and then come back. And unfortunately, they got abused again by black men. Right. Right. Right, because the way he was feeling about himself and the rage and the anger that he had from being abused, so he takes it out on his woman. Yeah, Mm -hmm. so it's just a a vicious cycle, but we know it can be broken, but we have to take a part in breaking this cycle. And do we understand black men anger? Mm. We see that as very threatening and very intimidating, okay, if we do this, they're going to do this. But they feel just like we do. Those feelings, again, like I said, it's attached to a need. And when you take the feeling of anger, basically the need is to be heard, to be Mm. validated, to be accepted. But we have a difficult time expressing that because we try to survive it. And then people say, okay, how do we help them communicate, particularly black men, this is how I'm really feeling. I need to be respected. I need to be heard. I need to be accepted as a black man. Right. That's very. That's a challenge. That is right. A challenge. It is. And particularly for black women that have had to do it for themselves or for their families, and sometimes we're so caught in the moment of I got to get this done, I got to get this done, and we don't stop and pause and say, Wait a minute. Let me find out what's going on with him so he can be heard. So I think that we just need to be aware 
and we need to understand how we work together. Exactly. That's that's the key, working together. Yes, working together. We were meant to be together, and we just have to heal those wounds so that we can, you know, rescue our community, rescue the family. The family is the bedrock of the community, and so we have to make sure that we are all in places of healing. And I think this this discussion with you, I think, could be the beginning for a lot of healing for people that hear it. Because whether yes. the hearer is a part of it or not, that word will go out and help someone else. So I really appreciate you sharing this. Um, it's so important. And, and, again, you said the family places a number where anyone can call them. They can give them the right number wherever they're located. You said it's 214-941-1991, correct? That's correct, yes. And then the correct. National uh, Violence Hotline, you can uh, Google that to get the number, and it's for any place in the country. So this has well, just anyway. been mm-hmm. so wonderful. And so, Teresa, I hope that you are open to coming back and, having another discussion with us, and hopefully in the next month or so we can talk about another phase of uh, what we're in right now and praying Mm -hmm. for God's grace and mercy. But I pray that, you know, as you go through all of this, I know it's taxing that the Lord will continue to lift you up, protect you as you, you know, seek to help so many women and families and, and men uh, you know, come to a place of healing and hope. So thank you so much. And you are listening to Deborah's Healing Kitchen. Thank you for tuning in today. And please go to my website. I have some tips, and you can even order some items to boost your immune system. In light of all we're going through, we have to make sure that we fortify ourselves, and there's natural ways to do this. And this is information that I have received from my holistic doctors and other health professionals. So please go to DebraPeakHaines.com. That's D-E-B-R-A-P-E-E-K-H-A-Y-N-E-S.com. And also please visit Deborah's Healing Kitchen. I posted a Facebook Live. Hopefully it's helpful to you. And we look forward to coming back to you again with some more compelling information so that you can live a healthier life with a high quality of wellness. So thank you again for tuning in to Deborah's Healing Kitchen. And thank you, Teresa Little, for all that you do. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Deborah P. Keynes here each Tuesday at 5 o'clock Eastern Standard Time on the Joy Network. Hosted by thejewelnetwork.com, e4medicine.com, and deborahshealingkitchen.com for our complete broadcast schedule, additional information, and to purchase products, please visit our website at www.thejewelnetwork.com. For our complete broadcast schedule, additional information, and to purchase products, please visit our website at www. TheJewelNetwork.com. If you'd like to contact Miss Deborah, please send your email to Deborah P. Kane at JUIS.education. Follow us on Facebook at Deborah's Healing Kitchen. Thank you. This broadcast is under full copyright and trademark protection owned by the House of Jewels. This broadcast in its entirety, nor any part of this broadcast, can be reproduced, copied, transcribed, placed in podcast format, placed 
into MP3 format or suspended on any internet digital location without express permission from the House of Jewels, Washington State, USA. To reproduce or suspend this broadcast in any digital location other than the Jewel Network is prohibited and legal proceedings will follow accordingly. Thank you for listening. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.